friends. It's a crisp Saturday morning in fall, and I'm walking alongside the Poudre River in northern Colorado. What a glorious day. The sun is up, a few sparse clouds trailing over the horizon. And it just feels good, I have to admit, to being alive. I love fall. I love this season. Because it's the it's the seasons that make some of life at least interesting. And it's there that I find real joy. Fall's my favorite in some ways because things are still alive although the, the leaves are turning and the nights are getting cooler we had a couple down in the 30s this past week here but I like it because of football <laughs> and that's probably why Ruth doesn't like it but I like the football season school has started there's a freshness about the fall. That's interesting because we usually talk about the freshness being about the spring. But for me, there's a freshness in the fall because the season is so obvious in its change and colors abound. Well, I'm going to walk over here and sit down on a bench overlooking the river and do an intro to this podcast about seasons. There's this wonderful passage in a book that at first blush might seem to be a a bit of a downer. It's the Old Testament Hebrew writing of Ecclesiastes. But in chapter 3, there's this section that says a time for everything. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born and a time to die, time to plant, time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time (laughs) to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, time to be silent and a time to speak, time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And the writer goes on to say, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. We'll come back to that. He has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This text is saying every event or thing under heaven has an appointed time. That means every little thing matters. It's all part of a grand design and things may appear vaporous or to our limited perspective, but they're in perfect order from his. When it's hard to make sense out of stuff, if we find God's presence in life, and many of you know this, that's when real meaning and satisfaction will emerge. Solomon, 
affirms the seasons of joys and the seasons of hardships. The high and the low seasons, the valleys of despair, and the peaks when things are going great. This is the ebb of flow of life. There aren't too many things that are great about getting old, but one of them is you have some perspectives on the ebb and flow of life. And if we will keep God at the center, this is my thesis, purpose can emerge. And a refining, a, uh, a distilling, a uh, percolating, if I can use that word, in our hearts will take place. So the key question, one of the key phrases here is, so how does God make everything beautiful? in its time. If you pick up on the thought of redemption, that God's a redeemer, to redeem something means to offset its negative traits. And the redemption that we find in Scripture, I'm going to start walking here again. The redemption that we find in Scripture teaches us that God will redeem us from despair and work all things out together. We could spend weeks, we can spend a lifetime sort of cogitating on that thought. We may not always know how God makes things beautiful or when, but I believe we can count on it. Pray that it will happen. Keep trusting him to redeem even the awkward circumstances or the pieces that make us different from other people or any of those kinds of things. Well, that's my intro. What I'd really like to do and what I'm really excited about is to intro my guests. About a year and a half ago, I sat down with two dear friends in Annapolis, Maryland. It's about, Annapolis, Maryland is about 45 minutes east toward the Atlantic Ocean of Washington, D.C. And Jim and Dee Dee Rivers have lived there for a long time. They are uh, two of the most thoughtful, kindest people that I've ever known. They have a way of reflecting on what's important that I think you'll find stimulating, hopefully encouraging. And I just tee it up for us to talk. Here they are, Jim and Dee Dee Rivers, Annapolis, Maryland. I've known Jim and Dee Dee now for about 25 years since we first came to Washington, D.C. And just give us a little background and Jim, where were you brought up? Camilla, Georgia. Where in the world is Camilla, Georgia? Camilla, Georgia is in the southwest portion of the state. Okay. About 30 miles from the Florida line. Are you a country boy? Yes, indeed. And Dee Dee, where were you brought up? I was brought up in Delaware, right. in Lewis, Delaware, every summer, and in Seaford during the rest of the year. What is Seaford? Seaford was a um, with a nylon a nylon plant okay. um, that from Dupont. Uh, that's where yeah. my father worked. Because your dad worked at Dupont, and yes. then later on, they they moved him down to 
The Savannah River. The Savannah River Project. In, in, and we lived in North Augusta, South Carolina, just across the river from Augusta, okay. Georgia. And Jim, you went to North Georgia College. Our college. In undergraduate? Yes. Were you a good student? I tried to be. See, that's the story of my life right there. I tried to be. I got five units of D in chemistry, one A at Calvert. I, I didn't try hard enough, clearly, but you did better. And and you went where to college? I went to nursing school at Duke. At Duke. And then you guys met when you went to the medical college? I was a freshman at the Medical College of Georgia. University of Georgia. Right. And you were a nurse? And I was a nurse at the okay. Medical College of Georgia. And so... That's the rest of the story. One date was all it took. You you met and married? We met at the end of March. Right. And we married in August. Holy moly. That's good. That's good movement. (laughs) I couldn't take a chance of letting her on the loose. Somebody (laughs) would have gotten her like that. (laughs) So you ended up then being in the military as as a military doctor. Yes. And being posted to Walter Reed and to Fort Ord in California. And you were still nursing all this time, Dee Dee? No, I, when we left uh, Georgia, I didn't work as a nurse. Okay. I got involved with children in the inner city. And now, we're in this town of Annapolis, which has a fabled history in a lot of ways. And a number of my friends describe you as elders in this city. Why do you think they say that? I mean, apart from being modest... Let's just cut to the chase. Why do you think they say that, Jim? Well, because I'm, I was a physician and delivered so many babies in this town, so I was well-known. Uh-huh. Dee Dee was a servant to the poor okay, and the downtrodden in this town. And that's how she spent her time caring for the poor and the down and out. Between brand new babies, which are new life, and the disenfranchised people on the margins who often find they don't have much of a life, you've covered the waterfront. Both of you, I'm, you know, I can see this, folks can't see this. You're white. Most of the people you've been involved with, Dee Dee, uh, tend not to be white, they tend to be African American. Give us a snapshot of where that started when you were in D.C., just a little picture. I didn't really know anything about black neighborhoods when I was in D.C., but a lovely woman who had invited me to come and have coffee with her said that after talking with her, I was kind of in the wrong place, and she sent me down to a church in the inner city of Washington to meet this priest and I was just drawn into that neighborhood and just spent most of my time so there. It was, it was all kinds of immigrants, didn't yes. have much money, no. all of that. And but, a lot of children whose parents had come up here from the South to work for wealthy white people huh. and the children had nobody at home. They they just were sort of left on their around. own. And, yeah. and then there were two wonderful young women who had started an after-school program there, and they invited me to come be a part of it. And I loved it because not only did they help the kids with the schoolwork, but they prayed with the kids, and Mm -hmm. we fed them breakfast on 
Friday mornings and did Bible stories with them, and it, it was wonderful. How, how old were you when that happened? I was still in my 20s. You were in your 20s. Yeah. But when you were 18, as a student nurse, where? At, at Duke. At Duke. Yes. You one day were on a ward, back in the day when they had wards, like you think of World War I with wards. Yes. And what happened? I had been working all afternoon there and taking temperatures and all of a sudden sort of stopped in the middle of the hall. And at that moment, I noticed that everybody there was a different color than I was. I was the only white person there. It was all the patients, the nurses all the visitors on a Sunday afternoon. And I was just standing there thinking about that. And I just felt God was saying to me, I just heard this voice saying, behold your brothers and sisters. And it was something I've treasured for the rest of my life. So the outworking of these next decades came out of a moment in time, one yes. of those moments Yes. That's a life changer. Yes. You hear it, it doesn't always yes. bear fruit right at the moment. Yes. But that's what happened. And that's what happened. You are somebody who has worked with people, oftentimes who don't feel like they have a life, right? Or at least not one that's productive. And you, Jim, have been responsible for helping the birth process of somewhere <laughs> between six and 7,000 babies. Yes. And, and I had a private practice, but also in this community, there were people who never went to a private practice, and so I took care of a lot of people that had no money, and they just came to the hospital, no prenatal care, whatever. Yeah. And it was my job, but a privilege to care for them as well as the patients of the private practice. So, so a few years back, almost 20 years ago now, yeah. sort of on the spur of the moment, at a, at a breakfast gathering in D.C., I said, Jim, I'm going to go to India here. Would you go with me? And you went with me, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to cancel all those. Those people had to have babies on their own for a couple of weeks. I had, I had partners who had, had to step in. They step I had to pay the price when I got back. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but we, we went together. And one of the things we did, we, we met with some members of parliament, some yes, other indeed. things in Delhi, but then we went to a, a conference with some missionaries where they had asked me to speak. And I just made the announcement that in the afternoon, you, you'd speak to all the wives because you're an OBGYN. And, yeah. and you got a bigger crowd than I did <laughs> talking to women about menopause. <laughs> I just, I have always found that to be a hoot. Well, I mean, that that's the practicality of the gospel there right there, go. isn't Absolutely. it? Yeah, I would say. You have blessed a ton of people with your lives. You have been blessed by a ton of people yes, with your lives. But to understand that here is the Jesus that doesn't see the colors and doesn't see the, uh, the, the status in, in terms of who, who do I go to help or who do I die for, whatever. And, and to see that lived out in your lives is a huge encouragement to a ton of people. You are two of my favorite people to be with. 
One of the last times I was here, I sat on an antique chair and broke it. I don't know how many thousands it cost to repair, but Ruth told me when I came when I came today, she said, "Whatever you do, do not sit in an antique chair." So, so I haven't. I haven't broken anything since I've been here for lunch. But we love you. You are loved by a lot of folks, and thanks for just doing this little piece with me. I appreciate Aww. it. It's a pleasure to be with you, Dick. And you know, I one things we didn't say, but I do know that people see us as praying people yes they they just see us and we just have some new neighbors across the street and she just said you know we didn't know when we moved here that we'd live across the street from people who are just so faithful and loving and caring and who pray with us i love that you're i mean and i i don't talk about denomination on this program very much or at all, actually. <laughs> but, you know, I come from Pentecostal roots, and you, you guys are Episcopalian. You come from Methodist I was, background. I was a Baptist, and then a Methodist, and now Episcopalian. Well, you, you emigrated. Yeah. Are, you, are you going up the food chain or down? Or I you? found my place. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are Episcopalians who lay hands on people. Yeah, we do. I love that. If I'm and ever in terrible... That's what I want you to do for me. Yeah. If I'm yeah. Okay. I'm out now. I'm leaving. God bless you. We oh, love you. Thank you, Dick. We thank want you. you to be with us for hours. <laughs> well, what a fascinating life Jim and Dee Dee Rivers have had. Lives full of seasons characterized by people or moments or incidents, or influences, opportunities, any one of those, or all of them meshed together overlapping can be seasons. And a season can last a moment or a month or sometimes several years. But here is the God who makes everything beautiful in its time. Well, that's it for now. Dick Foth with Stories from the Road. Signing off, thanking you for being gracious and listening and even subscribing. And I'll catch you next time, actually from the road, in a different state, in a different place. God bless. Mm-hmm.